Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I am all by myself in studio. Uh, I have to admit, I was a little suspicious when Zach called in sick on Super Bowl Monday, but it is now Tuesday, and he does indeed have a very bad fever, so we feel sorry for Zach, and we miss him. But that means this week we are just bringing you an interview. No signs of the times or consolations and desolations, but it's a great one. We're talking to John Anderson, and he reviews movies for America Magazine, so we wanted to pick his brains about the Oscars, which are airing this Sunday. So here's our interview with John Anderson. This is going to be a fun one. I'm really excited. I mean, what's more fun than talking about movies, right? I I have a list of things. And the Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So maybe we could just set the stage a little bit. Uh, So, John, you were obviously a film critic who has seen all of these movies and then some. Uh, Yeah. And thought critically about basically all of them. That's the not fun part. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I... I've seen all the Best Picture nominees and crammed quite a bit for this conversation. And <laughs> Ashley is representing... Yes, I'm the more casual moviegoer. I tend to like to wait until movies have stood the test of time before they I go see them. Like, I read 19th century novels and I see movies that were made in, like, the 90s. So You're waiting for... <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, how much time has to elapse before? <laughs> yeah. Evidently, it's 20 years. <laughs> But um, I did do a little bit of homework for this conversation, so I've I've seen a handful of the Best Picture nominees. Yeah, so between the three of our perspectives, we're imagining that listeners fall somewhere in between that. <laughs> um, I thought maybe we could just maybe go through the Best Picture nominees real quick, just sort yeah. of. So leading the amount of nominations, which right. is probably the most controversial right. film, Joker um, had 11 nominations, mm-hmm. um, and then The Irishman uh, had 10, as well as, what else had 10? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, in 1917. Uh, Marriage Story, yep. um, nominated for six. Uh, Little Women, nominated for six. Parasite, unprecedentedly. Yeah. Foreign film, getting six Oscar nominations. Yeah. Um, what else are we missing? Uh, missing? Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Six nominations. Ford v. Ferrari, four nominations. And I think that's it. Yeah. A lot of, uh, we were looking at this list, and uh, Vox called Ford v. Ferrari a dad drama. <laughs> but I was looking at this list. And I'm like, there's a lot of dad drama movies in this in my, this list. My seven year old loves Ford and Ferrari. Oh, of course, so, yeah, <laughs> race car movies. It, I, For him, it's like a video game. It was yeah. so fun. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. great. It's not my favorite, movie, but it was so fun to watch. And like, yeah, I would rewatch yeah. it over and over again, probably. So, looking at this mix of best picture uh, nominees, does anything jump out as being particularly interesting or telling about about what made the list? Two Netflix films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which they hate. <laughs> which I love. They, who is they? They hate that out there. Theater. The people who vote for Oscars. <laughs> yeah. So why, why, maybe for the audience, why, do, why does the Academy abhor the streaming revolution? Because it's killing movie theaters. You know, and, and a lot of these people. Why are, do they care about movie theaters? They're reaching people. Yeah, but there are a lot of you are. know. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of exhibitors in the academy, and they, you know, the mm. people who are in the business of showing movies on screen. I don't think Scorsese was ecstatic about the fact that his movie was going to get this relatively brief theatrical run and then be yeah. put on your television. This is The Irishman. Yeah, I mean, The Irishman is a movie that you need to be sitting in a theater, locked into your seat. See, I watched it at home a on a sick day, and I kind of appreciated being able to like walk up. Go to the grocery store, come back. It's a very long movie. <laughs> I do admit, I, I I watched it on my phone on a plane. Isn't that terrible? Oh my god! <laughs> but that's I mean, doesn't that say something about I don't know? This is just where movies are going, right? 
Well, uh, yeah, but a lot of, you know, a lot of people with interests in Hollywood would prefer it didn't go that way. So there is resistance to Netflix. But I, I watch this stuff professionally. And since they've started sending me links to films rather than demanding I be at a screening, it's very tempting to stay home. As so you actually was saying and and you know relax yeah. in your in your house and not pay watch for a movie. $10 popcorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You make your own popcorn. Well, so this is the other thing about movie going that I found is we had this great experiment with Movie Pass oh, which yeah. I everyone likes to make fun of and mm. joke about and but the sort of revolutionary part of it was it made movie going back into this like social thing. Social working yeah. class thing that anyone could go and do, right? Yeah. Now yeah. I mean, a movie ticket in New York City costs eighteen dollars minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, with taxes, you're probably spending twenty bucks. If you go to Alamo, you can spend fifty bucks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so I'm not shocked that more people are opting for watching it on yeah, their yeah, couch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think what the the, um, the industry <clears throat> would like to see happen is to at least expose younger people to the experience of going to a movie because really some movies should be seen in a theater. Most films, I think, are still made for a theater. Yeah. Um, you nobody, no, none of these people who are currently at Sundance are, are, are imagining their film being seen on a cell phone. So That's one it, thing Martin Scorsese can thank Marvel and Star Wars for, because that gets young people I, I <laughs> into guess, the theater. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I, you know, with his uh, pronouncements. But well, let's jump back to the movies. Oh yeah. At oh yeah. Hand. What were you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we we want to talk a little bit about the quote unquote Catholic movies um, mm-hmm. that came out this year. So we've identified identified a couple two popes the irishman and a hidden life um which didn't get any oscar nominations yeah and we'll just say like what we mean by catholic movies is some combination of uh explicit it, explicitly catholic about content, catholic like people popes. like popes <laughs> right. um or our co-worker was in one so jim <laughs> martin jim? the irishman yeah. <laughs> um if you didn't know that father james martin plays a priest in the irishman um He's the pretty pre- early on so performs a baptism yeah performs yep. a baptism uh, in latin in latin um <laughs> And also maybe Catholic themes, but I feel like there has to be some like Catholic subject matter as well for this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's maybe start with the two popes. Yeah. Uh, Was not nominated for a best picture. However, both Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price, who we've had on the show, were nominated for uh, Hopkins for supporting actor and Jonathan Price for lead actor. Yeah. Um, What did you all think of the movie? I think it's a terrific movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I said so in the pages of America. <laughs> yes. Mostly because of the, the interplay between Hopkins and Price. I mean, I think the, 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 the scenes between them are very nuanced, very character revealing in very subtle ways and, and really create, you know, that as the, the director was here at America and I, mm-hmm. we, we, for a screening of the two popes, and I asked them, are these, are these the popes or are these characters in a movie? And he said, he emphasized that they were characters. In a movie. <laughs> They're not to be seen as, you know, documentary subjects. Right. This is not a biography or any, a biopic. Right. Any so they are, you know, they're, I think they're fully realized characters, whether you think they match up with the real men or, or perhaps pre- reflect in some way, in a way you don't approve. I mean, I think you have to telescope it in and see them as characters in a, in a drama. Yeah. I thought the most boring takes were about whether... <laughs> It was quote unquote real or not? Yeah, like right. that—that's sort of the least interesting yeah. question, right. mm-hmm. About the film, um, I thought it did sort of reflect maybe two ways of being Catholic or thinking about Catholicism, and had them dance with each other, which I thought was it. It, it sort of took literally, yeah. <laughs> There's no, a scene they literally of Pope Francis the two and Pope dance. Yes. Benedict dancing, right. but um, 
I thought it was interesting because it it knew the audience was probably going to come in thinking, oh, Pope Francis, great, good, uh, Pope Benedict, bad. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It sort of gives you a taste of that mm-hmm. and then very much subverts it. Yeah, halfway through no, the that's film. a flip. It really flips itself uh, towards the end, thanks to Hopkins' performance, I think. Yeah, I would say it's the film that uh, exceeded my expectations the most. I kind of didn't have any desire to see it when it came out. I was like, look, I work at a Catholic media organization. I cover this stuff day in, day in. <laughs> like, what am I going to learn from this? Like, it just seems like, yeah, a, a less true version of what I already know. But I like one, I did appreciate the way that they um, really humanized both characters. Um, and it does give you a backstory into Pope Francis's life before he was Pope Francis in Buenos Aires um, when he was the archbishop there during the Dirty War um, that I, I didn't know a lot of that. And I thought yeah. it was really great to learn about. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the Irishman. Yeah. Um, why is the first thing that people say about this movie is how long it is? <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's... Right. It's really an excellent film, right? And I'm just stunned that every sentence starts with, it's good, but it's long. I mean, yeah. Scorsese's films, they're long. Yeah. Now, Hidden um, Life is about the same length, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of long films on this list. Uh, what did you, what were your overall takeaways from the film? Um, the Irishman? Yes. And what, what, besides it featuring Jim Martin, Father James Martin, what well, makes it Well, that was the Catholic. highlight of the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, you, well, the, the Catholic aspect. I mean, yes. it's very explicit in that he doesn't, even in, you know, the deathbed, he doesn't, I mean, maybe a spoiler, but, you know, he really doesn't come across with a deathbed confession. No. He resists to the moments of, of uh, you know. There may not be a confession, but there's certainly a lot of guilt, but kind of the guilt that's not expressed explicitly like the character i identified most with was um uh peggy the Mm -hmm. she's the daughter of this you know hitman played by robert de niro and she's kind of the conscious of the film she like sees what her dad does and is not okay with it and ends up distancing herself from him um and there's this poignant scene of him when he is older trying to trying to talk to her again and she's she will have nothing of it um and that's i don't know kind of yeah. I, his his desire to talk to her and reconcile shows some level of regret i think on his part even if he's not willing to you know confess to the priest at the end one of our last catholic movies you've got one you want to throw in yeah a hidden life um this tells the story of franz jägerstadter who is an austrian farmer and also uh someone who's beatified by the catholic church um who was executed by the nazis for refusing to swear allegiance to hitler in 1943 Directed by Terrence Malick, uh, snubbed of any Oscar nominations whatsoever. Which Not that either of us saw the movie. <laughs> right. But, like, why should people see this movie? Well, it's beautiful, for one thing. I mean, it's a visual experience, as are most of Malick's films. And he's... The, the, the thing with Malick is he... This is his most narrative film in some years. He has really migrated away from being a storyteller to being a visual artist. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it's it's telling that almost all the dialogue in the film is superimposed on the pictures. Mm. Everything's in voiceover. There's very little that's, you know, in the moments. Is that distracting? It achieves the effect Malik is after, which is a kind of a distancing mm. and, a, you know, a, a omniscience, I guess. I don't know if you wrote this for us, but I read somewhere that it gives it kind of like a prayer-like quality, like the, the that voice. That sounds good, hear. and I think I wrote it. Okay. No, I don't know. I may... <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's that's an apt description. 
You wanted to talk about in this sort of quote unquote Catholic movie category, uh, Diane, which yeah, neither of Diane us have seen. by uh, by Kent Jones, director Kent Jones, who used to run the New York uh, Film Festival. Mary Kay plays plays this woman, Diane, and uh, y- y- you know you're not you're not presented with her whole story right away. It comes it comes in increments. But what you realize is that she's she does all this good these good her, her days are consumed by doing good work for other people, however disgruntled she seems and however unhappy making all this all these tasks are. But you realize uh, at some point during the film that her entire life is an act of penance mm-hmm. for something for which it doesn't seem to warrant that much guilt, mm-hmm. but. When you look at the movie sacramentally, it's a very Catholic film, and okay. it reminds me of Robert Bresson, who you know was a great Catholic French filmmaker. So Diane and not was it nominated for anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move to our favorite movies. Um, first one I wanted to bring was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm. which uh, until very recently was my favorite film from 2019. Mm-hmm. I have a soft spot for Tarantino. I really love his movies. And this one was really, uh, I don't know if you're turned off by Tarantino's violence. This one is not a super violent film. It's very, um, well, there's a vi- there's a very violent. <laughs> John just gave Relatively me a look. Relatively like, What is wrong with you? You're sick of. <laughs> uh, but I, I went into this without the sort of nostalgia that maybe Tarantino brought to it or maybe the other people brought to it, right? Like, I'm not of this generation, uh, the sort of 60s, uh, LA. I've never been to LA even. Um, Bless you. Yeah. Uh, trying to keep it that way. Um, but I just found it like anytime someone pays attention to a time or a person with such detail, you can't help but find it moving. So it was one of my favorite films of the year. I thought the actors were incredible. Brad Pitt is somehow 56 looking that good with his shirt off. And I don't understand. I hate um, him. Yeah. Uh, this is one of your favorite films of the year, too, yes? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, my problem with Tarantino, though, is that he never he, he, he never wants to make an honestly emotional film. Everything is caricature. Everything is pastiche. And, and everything is sort of homage. And sure. can I find any more French words thrown in? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he, 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 it's a jokey, you know, he approaches the Manson murders in a completely different uh, way than they actually happened. Yes. And that part of it stuck with me for weeks. I I was just so pleased by that reworking of the past in a way that would have been so, you know, which which is in the movie, it's, it's sort of nobody takes notice that the fact that history has changed, but we all do. And it's very, it's very moving. Sort of this it, what if, like... Yeah, the, the, you know, it would have, you know, this crazy violent scene hadn't happened and um, everyone deserving lived. Right. Um, it is sort of, I mean, because this is a moment in history that sort of marks the end of an, an era, right? Like the Manson murders, 69. Well, yeah, yeah that's the what they always said, you know, that it was the end of the 60s, the end of the, you know, peace and love time because it was just, you know, crazy mayhem. And, um, but um, it, it also, as per... Tarantino's M.O., it's also about the movies and the way the movies can remake the world. Yeah. And the movie can re-envision history and make it do what you want. And yeah. that's a key thing about the film for me. 
Ashley, you did not see this one, right? I did not. What did you think about it? Um, the most relative point. I don't know how I feel about the use of ellipses in a title. That's oh, fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad for headline writers. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I, I have a very limited character count when I'm writing a headline. Yeah. Um, Ashley, let's go to uh, one of your favorite films. Also one of my favorite Yeah, fi- my favorite I stole film. it from you. That's Sorry. Okay. <laughs> but I saw it last night, so it's mine now. All right. So, uh, so Little Women. Uh, I, did, I did love it. I went into it hoping I would love it because everyone I had talked to said how wonderful it was. For me, just seeing... Uh, you know, as someone who grew up with a sister and very close girlfriends, uh, seeing that portrayed on film and taken seriously and lovingly uh, was just really moving. Um, There's these scenes where uh, the neighbor, Lori, comes in to this domestic scene of the girls um, all helping their sister. Um, I guess it's Amy with their broken ankle, or I guess Meg. Um, And he just is, like, looking at them, and he looks so, like, kind of like he... Not jealous, but like... Well, the neighbor is like this uh, sort of rich kid. Aloof, rich kid. Um, lives alone, is orphaned. Um, um, and just this look that he gives these girls all like gaggling and taking care of each other is just like, wow, we are like something, something to behold. He wants to be one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you grow up with uh, Little Women or the stories I did. or the so adaptations? I, I, I definitely, I read, I read the book when I was probably in middle school, maybe. Um, I haven't seen any of the adaptations, so I can't compare. There are many. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is a film that is regularly, I think just like last year, two years ago, there was one. I don't think anyone's been drawing any parallels between Greta Gerwig and Quentin Tarantino, but I think Little Women is another example of how the movies can reimagine something Mm -hmm. and make it work anew. Gerwig's sort of take on this is rather unique, right? She's telling a sort of a split timeline. Right. Um, We're kind of caught in media res or or even sort of towards the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and also, well, Joe was already in New York, exactly, trying to publish her work, and then, right. then it's then I guess the rest of the movie's flashback. Yeah, I just felt most people can't relate to the whole like Hollywood nostalgia thing, but I thought most of us relate to having being so angry at our sister for doing this horrible thing. Yeah, but you have to forgive her, <laughs> or anyway. giving ourselves a really bad haircut. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, I was so. <laughs> <laughs> Little Women is also something that gives a lot of work to actresses. So, mm-hmm. yeah, remake I mean, just, it, remake it more often. Yeah. I will never tire of Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet on screen together. <laughs> so, give me more of that, Greta Gerwig. All right, John, let's move to Parasite, which I know you loved. Uh, give us your take on it. Well, Parasite is the you know the movie of the year, as far as I'm concerned. It's just structurally perfect. It's moving it's can we give like brilliantly a acted it's 15 about 15 seconds it's, it's well it's it, it, it's i think quite clearly a marxist allegory you know <laughs> yes. um it, you know a class a class war movie uh in not in so many words about a family of that of downtrodden koreans living in a sub-basement of, of a building who inveigle their way into the lives of a very wealthy family through the most brilliant con artistry uh that i've seen on screen since like billy wilder and <laughs> it's uh every time you think you've been thrown a curveball you get another curveball coming the other way and it's just constantly surprising and and it just has the momentum of the great films it, it's yeah. it's it, it, it doesn't let you rest 
And let's say you fell asleep in your Marxist comparative literature class in college. Yeah. You would still love this film. Yes. <laughs> I think uh, the state of the world, it's a very it's a very relevant film. You know, economic inequities uh, are obviously at the root of the, the, the concept of the film. Um, it's, it's one big recrimination to, you know, Trumpian tax breaks. And I don't know what the situation is in Korea. But uh, it seems to be worldwide, and you're entertained while you're being, you know, stuck in the back with a stick. <laughs> one, one thing that I appreciated about it, it's a class tale, but it is not the rich people are bad, no, the poor no, people are no, good. No, no, no. Right? Yeah. These are sort of like morally equivalent. I mean, like, they're basically morally equivalent. Yeah. They're all bad? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think, I mean, no, like. No, no, no. They have their flaws. I mean, everybody does. Yeah. Um, but it it forces you then to project like, okay, what is driving these characters? Mm. It's not their personal morality. It is sort of the structure, right? And so it forces, and I think that's why this is a, you're right, a classically like Marxist film. Is it draws your attention from personal flaws to what is driving these characters yeah. really. All right. Another movie we both liked was Marriage Story. Though I have to say I saw it so I was cramming for this. And so I saw Marriage Story <laughs> and then Little Women and seeing Laura Dern go from like devil <laughs> divorce oh <my> lawyer <laughs> to Marmy yeah. was a little jarring, <laughs> but still like them both. <laughs> uh, I love this movie. Um, it was devastating. Also, Uh I think you wrote that it was such a great movie that you never want to watch again. Well, I, I think there are movies like that. that You know that they're great. You just have no real desire to go through that again. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I listened to uh, the Big Picture podcast um, from The Ringer, and they were the two people they had talking about it um, were both uh, watching this as people who were married, hmm. um, who were Sorry. children of divorce, mm. ah. which was... Also, my experience. So I got married in October. So I watched this movie with my... Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but I watched this movie with my new wife. Um, oh. And uh, it was... that Like, bringing that to it was both interesting, but also... Um, and what they said, and I think this is true, is that as a child of divorce, you've already seen all of this and considered sort of like this could happen to a marriage. Right. So it's actually not as devastating on your personal relationship as you would you might think yeah no i just found it like very believable the the way that they um they built up the relationship and then kind of broke it down like it, it starts with them you find out later in meeting with the divorce counselor but like saying everything they love about each other um and then how they 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 show how that can be true and then how that can still not be enough yeah um in a kind of devastating way um i i appreciated how they kind of you know, the main character is not the the son that they have together, but they always right. kind of foreground him, mm -hmm. and he's kind of like the the center around which they're rotating. And so, you know, in in that way, it's you know, it has a kind of not conservative, but you know, a uh, a message that you know recognizes the effect of divorce on children in a way that's not always portrayed in films. So I appreciated that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the fact that they made him a less than charming child because <laughs> yeah. because, you know, it's like most eight year olds are like that. They're less than charming. I mean, he, he's kind of a, I mean, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you know, he's yeah. the child who's caught in the middle, but yeah. he's not like it's not like Kramer versus Kramer where everyone wants to take him home. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, it's like I'm not sure how many people want to take this kid. Home. <laughs> um, Did you find the. I don't think this is a spoiler, but the the fight scene. There's this very dramatic scene at the towards the end. It's, that, it's I, I found it traumatizing. 
Yeah. I had a conversation with a coworker who said they didn't find it believable, Ugh. which I was, I found it very believable. Yeah, I'd make, make, make yeah see, I would probably fall in the, I, I, I didn't find it not believable, but I found it very foreign to me. Like I am, I grew up with parents who do not raise their voices oh. ever. Um, I personally am like a very, I don't, like to yell i don't like conflict i avoid conflict at all costs and my family's kind of like that so it was i found it moving but it was very unfamiliar yeah i mean it's just like i found it very believable not necessarily based on personal experience but definitely that (laughs) but it just makes sense like our ability to uh love each other sort of goes parallel with our ability to destroy Hmm. each other right the more yeah what i liked about that scene was that if you've been in an argument like that or witnessed an argument like that, there's always a point where someone or both parties humiliate themselves. And both of those characters in that scene were embarrassed by their own behavior and you could see it. It was part of the performance. Mm -hmm. And it 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 made it ring true for me. Not that I've ever been (laughs) that vocal. All right. Well, we can't have this conversation without talking about Joker, which did get the most nominations. Yeah. A a good call. I guess it did get 11. (laughs) Uh, So what's your take, John? (laughs) Joker Uh, is making a heavy duty, is is in the middle of a heavy duty campaign. I don't know if you've noticed the saturation bombing of advertising on television for for Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. I thought he was excellent. Right. He's the movie. Yeah. Uh, which I, I'm pretty sure he's like the only acting nomination that come out of this. I thought it was good. Um, no, isn't Todd Phillips nominated? Oh, he for director. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's the he's he's got the Greta Gerwig spot in the yes, director line. I think a lot of people right. would rather see Greta Gerwig. <laughs> right. uh, as they say, Little Women didn't direct itself. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Joker just like it was good, not great. If it won Best Picture, I would be furious. How mm-hmm. about that? All right. Well, talking about the Joker kind of leads to like this bigger question of like, should we care about the Oscars at all? Like (laughs) what goes into these decision making processes? And is it is it something that we should care about? Well, on a very, you know, sort of pragmatic level, it enhances, you know, it advances people's careers. It makes some money for people. There's an economic boost to winning an Oscar. There's a career boost to winning an Oscar. It becomes the first line in your obituary when you win an oscar yeah um so there are you know sort of real world reasons to to be especially if you're you know a member but if or you're a, a viewer a, or if you're a viewer i don't know it's um it's an interesting question it, it it doesn't seem to have a lot to do with our lives or even reflect what's good about the movies. What, so what so, I'm hearing is that I'm right to ignore the Oscars and to wait until... <laughs> it's so fun! I don't know. I know I should... There's, like, everything, like, as this, like, socialist that I should hate about yeah. the Oscars, but I don't know. It's really Well, it's fun. any awards show. I mean, there's yeah. so many awards shows. I mean, the Oscars is like the Super Bowl. You know, you kind of watch it because everybody's going to be talking about it the yeah. next day and you want to be part of the conversation. So. Yeah. Uh, maybe we just real quick, if we were in charge of Best Picture, who, who would we give it to? Parasite. Parasite? I'll go with Little Women. It's Little Women for me too. Right. Oh, huh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I loved it, and yeah, maybe gonna, that's because I, you have to convince me that you're not just like counteracting the whole like men don't like Little Women thing <laughs> and virtue signaling yourself. Yeah, you, you collaborationist. <laughs> well, I, feel, I, <laughs> I don't know. I loved it. I love Greta Gerwig. Yeah, no, it's it's not a bad year for movies. I mean, no, this is. I thought twenty. You know, this is some pretty good stuff. Um, John, we do have one final question. Uh-huh. Uh We ask. Everyone who comes on this podcast, this 
If you could canonize one person, living or dead, John's eyes just got really big. <laughs> living or dead, Catholic or not. Fictional or non-fictional. <laughs> who would it be and why? Wow. A lot of power. <laughs> As Pope, I... <laughs> uh, Thomas Merton? Thomas Merton. Why would you canonize Thomas Merton? Wisdom, saintliness. Has he been a part of your own journey as a yeah yes and 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 a spiritual mentor to people who have been mentors of mine so i mean i never met merton but i knew people who met merton <laughs> yeah and so it's a all right my own little apostolic tradition <laughs> yeah well saint thomas merton pray for us yeah. uh john uh people can read you in the wall street journal in america yeah. uh thanks so much for coming on the show uh my pleasure thanks for having me thanks john Listeners, Lent is just a few weeks away, and there's no better time to do some personal spiritual reflection. And here at America, we're really excited to accompany you on your journey this year. Two of our colleagues who help produce Jesuitical, Tucker Redding and Izzy Seneschal, are creating a really immersive spiritual experience for our weekly podcast called The Word. It will also feature reflections written by America's own editors. So go ahead and search The Word in your podcast app and subscribe today. And look for the first episode on Ash Wednesday, February 26. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Production help from Izzy Seneschal and Tucker Redding. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.